Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of It's Personal. Uh, the last book I wrote was heavy. All right. Hey, Gary. This is Evie. Uh, my name is Randy Rebine. Uh, but my name is Jared Krizoska. I don't think I'm a person that curses a lot. Heart just goes out to everybody. I'm excited. Awesome. Hi. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of It's Personal. I'm super excited for our guest today. Can you please uh, introduce yourself? Sure. My name is Ben Philippe, and I'm an author and professor. Awesome. And I usually don't ask this question because I think for a lot of reasons, like myself and you would know, um, but I love your story in a sense where you've done a lot of traveling, um, you've lived in a lot of different places. Um, can we start with just like your connection to Canada in itself? And I think for me being a Canadian, I don't tend to have a lot of Canadians actually on the show. Um, can you just share with us just a little bit about your connection to Canada? Uh, sure. Well, I'm a Canadian citizen. I was born in Haiti and then my parents moved to Montreal, Canada, actually two hours away from Montreal in Quebec, uh, to the city of Sherbrooke when I was around six, seven years old. And I lived there all the way through, um, middle school and high school and after Secondaire, uh, I moved to the States for college and I've been here mostly full-time ever since. Wow. Can you, let's, can we go back to maybe middle school or even high school? Uh, what was it like being a kid in Quebec during that time, um, specifically in middle school or high school? What do you remember? Uh, honestly, elementary school was really, really fun. Um, I was like the black kid in that school. That's not like an exaggeration. There was one, it was I. Um, and I think like second grade kids in a small town, just like seeing something new. Uh, so my friends were really nice. Uh, can I touch your hair? Yes. Yay, friends forever. Uh, I think it's middle school that like people start to turn into teenagers or be like aware of a greater world. So that's when like racism and all that unfun stuff starts to come in. But it's also, high school is when people are at their meanest or most vicious, just because like you have the full societal permission to think as an adult, but you don't have any sense of consequences yet, in my opinion. So you're just like pushing boundaries and just like being a little more extra in all facets of your life. And that's mm -hmm. not to say that I was, I was the nice kid bullied by everyone. Um, but kids were just meaner and I was meaner. And I think that was like the high school experience. And that's mostly it. Nothing ever, nothing really traumatic ever happened. Um, we, my parents divorced by then, so we moved closer to Montreal. So it was just me and my mom. So financially, it was a little more difficult uh, for me. Um, but yeah, you know, high school was high school. It's, it's weird. I think part of like popular culture always defines like high school as like the most formative time in people's lives. Like mm -hmm. all the TV shows are set around high school. And even when you sure. have adults, like when you have flashbacks, it's to their high school days. For me, high school was kind of like a blip on a radar. Like it just, it happened. And all the big changes in my life took place, I would say around college. Mm -hmm. So that's more or less the high school story. Yeah. And what did, um, like outside of school during those times with mom, um, what did your community look like? Um, my mom is Haitian and she's very into having a Haitian community around her. 
And I think I was very much opposed to that. Uh, <laughs> she, she wanted, I think, like now that I'm an adult, I can see what she was trying to do a little bit more, but she wanted like to give, oh, this kid, like dad's out of the picture. So I want to give my only child like a sense of community. So I want us to go to church every Sunday and my friends have uh, children his age. So I want them all to meet. Um, but I think for like high school me, I was very much the, my headphones are in, just leave me alone, mom. Um, that was my teenage experience. And like, I remember once she invited like a bunch of friends of our, hers from church and their kids like home. And I came home from school and there were like four teenagers I did not know who were there dragged by their parents and on their phones. And they were like really there for like a play date. Um, play dates are cute when you're five years old. They're not cute when you're 16. Mm -hmm. And awkward and just like, oh, F my life. What is happening here? <laughs> I just went into my room and I locked the door. And then I'm almost like, afterwards, she was like, oh, you humiliated. I passed the paper. I'm like, oh, that's you. I literally just wanted to be in my room reading mangas. Um, that's great for me. It's so funny because, like, as, as you're talking about your mom, it's, it's very clear to me, at, at least in Field Guide, like, where that relationship comes from. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, sorry motorcycle outside uh, not talk too much about the book but I think when I wrote Field Guide I had in mind that I was writing a very mouthy sarcastic and difficult teenager I love and it in my mind it was a fully fiction uh, like fictional creation but then everyone who knew me who read the book was like oh no this is just this is you this is like 300 pages in your head absolutely not um but yeah that's <sighs> what I love it. And again, very quickly about the book, I think it's honestly, I think there's so many kids that can relate to it because all those experiences happen to kids like daily and the way you react, well, I don't want to say you because the character isn't like actually you in the book, but the way the character reacts in the book to all the different like situations and experiences with mom and then other people outside of that bubble are so true and the way that he responds in regards to it being sarcastic it's it's done very very well very very well you can't honestly you can't turn a page without laughing or thinking of a situation where you've either been in that same situation or you know someone else that has been in that situation so thank you i really appreciate it thank you so much that's so nice uh, <laughs> No, it's awesome. And I guess my last question in regards to those different places, um, can you tell us a little bit about your move to New York? Because I'm, I know that must have been very different than Quebec in itself. The New York thing is kind of strange. I was just thinking about it like the other day. Um, I think I always wanted to live in New York and I partly blame television for that. Because you would watch shows like, I don't know, Gossip Girl. Like every show, even like 90210, people would move to New York. And it was the idea of like Glee, like this big, massive city. Um, and I was that was always really appealing to me. I remember sort of like looking outside my window at like the suburbs of uh, St. Hubert, Montreal, uh, like the South Shore of Montreal where I lived and being like, oh, my worst nightmare would be staying here forever. Now, I have a friend from high school who stayed there forever. I see them like every year when I go up. 
Um, I have a lot of love for Montreal, the older I get. But when I was a teen, I did not want to stay there. I wanted to sort of be overwhelmed by a city. I wanted to sort of like experience all those markers of life that I had seen on TV. And I think for mm -hmm. me, I realized that if I stay in Montreal, I know exactly what my life looks like for the next 15 years. Because um, mm -hmm. McGill is an amazing college that's right there in town to save money. I wouldn't move into dorms because I have my, I'm an only child. I have my bedroom like 45 minutes away. So I was like on, on my bed one day realizing like there's a chance that I keep sleeping on this bed for the next 15 years. And I think I woke up and started to like Google and research everything I could about American colleges. <laughs> um, and I really love New York. New York was just, is just amazing. Now it's almost like a, a liability because part of me is a little exhausted by it um there's trash everywhere the rent mm -hmm. is so high and i have friends who are like well i live in ohio and i have three acres and my mortgage is less than you pay for rent every month i'm like ah screw you um <laughs> i kind of want to like especially doing what i do like writing for television and trying to sort of write movies that stuff is all based in la but i I can't help it. I really like New York City. I like riding the subway. I like being mugged at one time. I just like living here. <laughs> would you do? Would you ever move to LA? Because I know I find I find often when I hear people talk about the two of them, they do like to separate. Especially if you're from New York or you've lived in New York, um, they do like to separate the two. Um, oh, can you yeah, see yourself moving to LA at any point? Yes. I mean, yes, I do. And I fully see myself becoming that obnoxious person who's like, I used to live in New York. Everything was better in New York than here. I, I already know that's going to be my journey if I ever move out to LA full time. Mm -hmm. um, I tried to do a thing where I'm there for like maybe well, last year, a couple of weeks or a month uh, just to, for meetings and stuff like that. Um, but eventually I'll have to be there like for a longer period. Uh, mm -hmm. Most like TV writers rooms staff there. On that, in that sense, like everything happening through Zoom opened a few career doors for me uh, that mm. were previously closed because I would not move to LA. Um, but yeah, I think eventually I'm going to have to make the leap and I'm really going to be that person that misses New York and talks about all the time. It's okay. And I think that's okay. Can you share with us a little bit about, I guess, the screenwriting? Because I know for me, I didn't know um, until I did the research in itself, like just because I had read your books, knew you were Canadian. You're pretty dope. And then I was like, oh, shoot, you like also writes like screenplays or like movies or TV. Like, can you tell us a little bit more about that? Uh, sure. I mean, part, partly the reason why you probably couldn't find much is that I haven't had much success. <laughs> um, I got my MFA in Texas at the Mishner Center, which lets you sort of pick two focuses. And mine were fiction and screenplays, like screenwriting. And I was raised by TV. I learned to speak English watching TV because I was an only child with a TV in my room. Um, it's always been like the other half of my passion for writing, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think you have to choose. People always say, oh, do I have to be, do I have to choose to write books or to write movies? And my answer is like, whichever one pays the rent. Like that's the one you lean in on. Um, I got my MFA. I wrote, wrote a few screenplays that got like some fractions and like got some representation by winning contests uh, nothing ever really happened much until funny enough the book stuff started to uh 
happen. And when you meet people, they're like, oh, what else are you working on? And you say, I write screenplays and pilots. And I was like, oh, I would like to read one of those. So then I got like bigger, better representation and I got staffed into my first room, um, which uh, wrapped up this summer for a show that's gonna be on Hulu next year, the Steve Martin, yeah. um, Martin Short Show, Only Murders in the Building. And it's also right now trying to pitch uh, the adaptation of Field Guide. Uh, and yeah, it's, it's chugging along. Just basically. That's amazing. As a, that's amazing. And I'm so happy to hear that Field Guide is like even something you're considering um, pumping into the world for a screen because I can totally, I can totally see that being on TV for people to watch. It would be so good. It would be so good. What does that look like? What does that look like for you? Because obviously when you look at, when you read a book and then you see it on screen, it's often quite different um, because you can't tell every single detail. Um, what is that process like? Um, the process of writing it, because keep in mind, I, I thank you for the very kind words, but I still haven't convinced a single person <laughs> on it. So I was like, they're like, I don't really see it as a show yet, but we'll enjoy the book. <laughs> we Googled. So that's like the level of my pitch meetings these days. Um, I don't know. I think I, in my mind, I see the setting a lot more. Um, one thing I tried to write about in the book was like how oppressive the heat of Austin, Texas was to me. Mm -hmm. uh, Canadian there for the first time that was really like sweating bone marrow. Um, I, I, I don't know, I just like picture L Richard Linklater is one of my favorite directors and he's like mm -hmm. fully obsessed with Austin, Texas. And Austin, Texas is a city that as much as I don't want to live there permanently, oh God, um, looks like nothing else on earth. And I always like, oh, it'd be so cool if like there was a show that showcased what teenagers look like in this part of the country. Because I think mm -hmm. um, there's a, ver like being a teacher, sort of like visiting schools, talk talking to young people, there's a version of teenagers that like we all know, but that was like fully built by the media, by movies and TV shows, like the, you know, 16 Candle, um, Breakfast Club, that sort of, oh, high school is just a bunch of archetypes. Uh, that's a version of teenagers we all know, but in my experience, that's not necessarily like the most truthful one. Mm -hmm. Like, and I would love to see a show that speaks to, that, that kind of looks like the teenagers I've met and I've tried mm -hmm. to work about. Um, and I'm, as much as I love the show, I don't think that's euphoria either. There, I said, it. like, no one is just, <laughs> I wish my high school life was like a fraction as interesting as euphoria. <laughs> on my eyes for absolutely no reason. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I have brief glimpses of it, but it's one of those things that like you can't let yourself dream too much because making TV, making movies that costs money until someone like right. until you convince someone to like share your vision, um, you're basically just fan fictioning yourself. Mm -hmm. And then I think that's I think dreaming is yeah, no, I agree with you. Dreaming is something you definitely I think you have to do. Um, but yes, catching yourself often um, at times is definitely something you have to, to also think about because the world's going to keep moving regardless of how much you dream. So um, keeping a focus on something I think is really important as well. And you have tons of things to, to be focused on. So in that category, you are doing just fine. That's for sure. <laughs> Thank you. 
Also, I realize we're not young anymore, which I, I think is probably a very trite and obvious realization that I did not get until like October of this year. Because um, mm. when I started to teach, I was teaching at the college level and I was like 25. Um, so I would walk into the room and people would just think I was a student. I was like, oh, I am the young fish out of water <laughs> in these waters. Now I just have people come up to me and say, hello, professor. I was like, oh, because I don't look 25 anymore. I'm yeah. like bravely in my 30s. So <laughs> it's just sort of like as many aspirations as a person has, you have to realize you have like a limited window of time to sort of mm -hmm. make all your dreams come true. Like I have, I have, sorry, now it's just, this is turning into therapy. Whenever someone lets me talk, <laughs> um, you know, you have your friends in high school, like your first friends from high school who, who have kids. And you're uh -huh. like, oh boy, they're having kids really young. Like 24, that's young to have a kid. Um, now I'm 32. So when I go home and my friends are like on their second or third kid, they're normal. Like if I have kids now, I'm the one who's like, oh, you kind of waited a little late. So that's what's in my head these days. <laughs> it's, it's so true. It's, it's so true though. It's so true because I'm 32 also. And if I think about friends back home, they're like literally every summer when I go home, like, yeah, they're having a new, they're having a new kid or like they're doing all these things that I think if I was home, I would definitely be doing the exact same thing. Like I'm in my, my wife and I are both in Manila right now. So we are teaching abroad. We've been teaching abroad for nine years and we are living a very different lifestyle because we've been away. Right. So if I go home and I talk to almost all of my close friends, they are, they either have a house, they have the kids, et cetera, et cetera, which is fine, which is like totally fine. But I know that if I was home, I would be doing the exact same thing for sure. Cause this is just how it works. Right. Um, things just oh, yeah. up, and right. It flares up all the old insecurities. I don't think I have, I'm very happy with my life. I think I've, I'm doing what I want to be doing. Whenever I go home, I feel like, well, you know, I live in New York. New York's pretty cool too, guys. And sort of you feel like you're the best who's not getting your life together because uh, you don't have three babies and a fourth on the way and like a summer house, uh, which is the case of my lawyer friends who I went to high school with. <laughs> oh, that's insane. That's insane. Can you tell us, I guess, more about your relationship with um, your mom and what is that like now, now that you're older? Oh, oh God, she's gonna love this. Well, no, actually it's, <laughs> it's in English. So she probably won't understand most of it. She'll like nod along to 50% and try to pick up what she hears her name. Belzy. Yeah, you just heard it, mom. Um, what's my relationship with my mom like? I love my mom. She's like, we talk every day which is like less cute than it sounds to some people. Like you talk to your mom every day. Um, yes, but they're very short phone calls. Sometimes I'll, I'll call her and she'll be like, oh, I'm on the phone with people. It's like, cool, bye. Or like, she'll call me. Uh, what was the channel with the movie? I'm like, channel 15, bye. Uh, I think because we were like, it was just the two of us for so long. We just got mm -hmm. used to sort of like being in each other's atmosphere. Um, the same way I'm realizing that I'm bravely getting older, my mom is also getting older. Um, 
I think this year it registered, a lot of things registered this year because of like the COVID situation and I couldn't travel, I can't travel home as easily as I normally would. Um, my mom is 70 years old and it's very weird, but in my head, my mom's age was always locked at 56. Mm -hmm. um, I remember because like once I told a girlfriend I was like home for dinner and I was like, oh, my mom's 56. And afterwards she was just like, how dare you just swing my age around? I'm like, that's your age, lady. Um, <laughs> But no, she's 70 years old. So that's, and that's such a high number in my head, right? And she has arthritis and she's alone in Canada. So the same dream of living in New York and just moving to LA and following your bliss, falling in love with someone who lives in London, just doing the most. Um, it starts to feel a little selfish when you realize that mm. like you're your mother's only child and she's... Uh, back in St. Hubert and she has to shovel snow and she lives alone. And my mom is, um, I like to say that I'm like, there is no way I was switched at the hospital because I'm literally 50-50, my mom and my dad. Um, mm -hmm. I look like you put their two faces into a blender <laughs> at this birthmark as my dad. Um, <laughs> and he, every, everything asocial about me is my dad. Everything social about me is my mom. Mm. Meaning that my mom is like chatty as hell. Like the phone would never stop ringing when I lived back there and it was always her friends from all over. She's kept all her friends from Haiti. She kept all her friends from Switzerland when she lived there and worked as a nurse. Um, those little notebooks that like older people keep with all the phone numbers, <laughs> just like, five of them. They're completely yes. And I was like, she was always way more popular than I was in high school. Mm. Her birthday, you knew my mom's birthday was coming because it's on June 24th. And from like June 19th until June 27th, the phone would just not stop ringing. People would be calling her to wish happy birthday. Oh, I wish your birthday was here. And she's the sort of person that can have a three hour phone call with someone and then sort of lean into you at the kitchen table, ready to chit chat for another three hours. I'm like, lady, three, like 15 minutes and I'm out of things to say to 99% of the population. like. No, but she's really just like aggressively social. So mm -hmm. I think a lot about her being alone in Canada and I kind of feel this is a woman that would really like a lot of grandchildren right now yeah. that live close by. So I think that's yeah. like, like guilt. Um, but what? that's like the all part. The other part is that my mom is really annoying. I love you, Belzy. <laughs> I love you with all my heart. You annoy me, woman. Um, just like puts our relationship in a weird mm. place like half friendship half uh parental mm -hmm. um <laughs> so we get along great i love her so much i know she loves me too um there is no way that like even if i spend a year without going home i know i'm gonna get home and within two hours we're gonna start bickering like <laughs> that never not happened like we we hug we both kind of tear up when i have to go back um but like within two hours we'll start bickering about something and it'll just be like she doesn't like my hair and i'll it'll be like i don't like what he's done with the living room like it you had enough furniture why do you just keep buying new furniture and like making it to this weird cluttered space and it would just yeah so that's a glimpse of my relationship with my thank you thank you <laughs> i love it i love that she has a little notebook and numbers i thought well you know what i didn't know but obviously it makes sense i didn't know that was a thing but i think lots of older people have little notebooks with numbers in them because my mom has the exact same thing 
she yeah i think they like you they understand that like, your phone stores everything but my mom is that slightly older generation that like she doesn't fully get technology it took her a while to realize how the screen of the phone works and that's another thing i remember us bickering about i'm like why do you swipe your finger so hard on the phone because she's just like it's it not like intuitive to her so she likes to have her analog stuff um at home we have like the big tv with the big back um because she doesn't tr- get smart tvs that the wi-fi has to be on and all that stuff so we actually ended up paying more for an old school tv that works um yeah that's lovely <laughs> love you that's hilarious and then Meg, can you share maybe a little bit about dad and what's your connection with him now sure i can share anything that's this isn't like i guess it's a superpower if you're a writer but i i, I have no filter uh, <laughs> relationship with dad is not great um i delve into this a lot in like the non-fiction book that's coming out in the spring that's like a, a memoir because i'm that obnoxious 29 year old that decided i'm gonna write a memoir everybody um mm-hmm. i think he we never really liked each other which is like a very loaded and very dark thing to say but I think we never really gelled. Like, you know, there's that stereotype, like that trope of the father picking up the baby and the baby squeezes their finger and the father's heart melts. Now, mm. my brain has no way of remembering that moment, but I'm, I'm 99.9% sure. I squeezed my dad's finger and both of us just went, oh, huh. Like it just never gelled and we're similar mm-hmm. in like, a lot of ways we look a lot alike i think we're both pretty smart academically we both read and love books a lot we're both sort of like indoor kids um we're both kind of really greedy and aspirational which i'm grateful i got from him um because my mom is someone who's like very satisfied with her life and having people close by and i'm always the one like no i'm moving to new york i want a penthouse one day <laughs> um, so I'm very glad I got that from my dad but I think we just never really gelled and I don't know why I think it's because we're too similar I also think that um, my dad is how do you say a little bit of a hoe in that he's had like many many children um, mm. my mom was his second wife and he had like seven kids from his first wife um, he had me with my mom and then his third wife he had like three kids with her and there were a few literal bastards scattered to the winds um so i don't think he sort of ever latched on to kids as like a deep emotional connection and mm-hmm. i at some point i just did bad like around the dinner table it would be him rolling his eyes and me and my mom just like chatting and sort of having inside jokes and gossiping about people so at some point i think he was just like i don't really have to be here and mom was really sad because you know she was going through a divorce but i think my dad and I sort of just clocked each other and I was like, yeah, you don't really have to be here. I'll take care of her. It'll be good. Like, you, can, you can go find wife number three. And that's sort of what ended up happening. Mm-hmm. So again, it all sounds really dark. Like I told this to like a therapist once and the therapist was like, oh, it's all about your dad. I'm like, no, no, dude, you don't get it. I know it sounds like it's all about <laughs> my dad, but it's really not. It's like mm-hmm. a blip in the radar. Let me show you my Tinder profile. Um, that's that's sort of like the backstory of that no I appreciate that because I think within all of that you also mentioned all the things that your 
like that you got from him or how that you see that you are connected to him and your either personality or how you do things throughout the world. And that's just normal as well. Like you're, that's how you were created. Right. So it just makes sense that you are part dad and part mom or whatever the case may be. Um, so no, I appreciate you sharing that. And I'm excited for memoir. Like that's a, that's some heavy writing. Like you are doing some real digging about your experiences. Thank you. Thank you. That's that, that one's going to be interesting. I, I, I think if I even glimpse one of the Goodreads reviews, I'm going to be catatonic for three weeks. I'm just going to like block that side off my browsers. Um, Cause again, I have no filter. So I wrote everything down. And then the last draft, um, like the last few essays, I was writing them this past summer, um, around the time of the, you know, race explosion in New York, in the world, essentially. Um, I don't even say Black Lives Matter because the movement started a few years before that. It was just a random, everyone's exhausted. And then this thing happened and I was suddenly like so angry. I reread like the book recently for proofing and typos and I was like, holy crap, the last three essays in this thing are so angry. And I didn't realize that until I was writing it. So the book is very transparent. I think the editor had to like run it by legal because they were like, okay, you use the real names of everyone in this. We need to change a few of them. So like a lot of like, I don't know, Jim's became John, <laughs> like Sonia became Sophia. Like I had to change them, but they're, uh, my friend Marvin became Martin. I probably shouldn't say that. It just, it just like really sort of, <laughs> it's very, very transparent. I love that you used the real names. When I was writing in the draft, I'm like, nonfiction. That's the whole point. I love and, that you used the real names. Yeah. Also, <sighs> kind to some I, people. <laughs> I'm so I'm so excited to read it. And then uh, I think I'm I think I'm I'm more excited also to just like hear your voice again because I hear your voice through the other books. Um, but I feel like this is going to be a little bit different um, because it's your like true voice. It's like literally your stories as well. So I'm super excited for that. Um, and I'll be really looking out for those last three chapters because I can only imagine. They're like, I think one of them is called like race war exclamation point. And I'm like super angry, happy at the prospect of a race war because it's time to cut loose. Um, so yeah. Thank God, like, I assume any lawsuit or defamation suits are going to go to HarperCollins and not me. Um, that's fun. Uh, but yeah, I think the thing was um, part of the reason why I wanted to write in nonfiction, because uh -huh. I think there's a lot of me in Norris Kaplan. There's a lot of me in Henry, the protagonist of my second book. But they're, like, little aspects of me. Mm -hmm. I just wanted, like, oh, what would the third, like, stunted man-child in that mm -hmm. world look like if it was just me? So mm -hmm. we'll see. I'm excited. I'm excited. Ben, what are some of your hobbies outside of the writing um, and the creating that you do? And I guess creating is a broad sense because creating is almost everything. But um, what other hobbies do you have? Hmm. I watch a lot of TV and movies, but it feels like that's part of the creating. Um, comic books. I was very, very cool in high school, like I've hinted at. Um, so I was really into mangas, which transitioned into like actual Marvel DC comic books. Um, baking, 
baking is like weirdly therapeutic for me. I, it just started this summer. You know how at the beginning of the summer, everybody was baking bread mm-hmm. and that was the thing. And I was rolling my eyes at all the sour dough kits all over Brooklyn. Um, and then I just started to like bake compulsively. It went from like cupcakes to cookies to like full three layered velvet, velvet cakes with icing. <laughs> Um, serious yeah i put photos of them on my like instagram because i like, have to go back and look <laughs> i'm not gonna eat all of this i i mean i ate a f- all of it for like a few of them and then i i weighed myself and i was like yikes um so i donate them to like a kitchen nearby um yeah baking was just like this compulsive thing that i just did for a while so i guess it's a hobby mm. but it's a hobby i want to shake out of like my biggest dream is to, when I get that vaccine shot directly into my eyeballs, to become <laughs> a runner. I want to be the person that like gets all this frantic energy out by like going to the gym and getting a pump. Um, whereas like even before the world shut down, I would go to the gym like fully dressed in gym wear. I would be on a treadmill for like 30 minutes, assemble like three playlists and then go home without having broken a sweat. So I want to become... <laughs> who likes to exhaust themselves at the gym who likes to run marathons for some strange mm. reason so that's mm-hmm. my aspirational hobby because the few times i was a runner in my life that was like going through a breakup or something I'm like i'm just gonna run i really enjoyed it but then like if you don't keep going it shuts out of my brain um very easily of my lifestyle very easily so mm-hmm. aspirationally i would like to be a runner tough mother whatever that is keep always mm-hmm. wearing mm-hmm. t-shirts i would like to be that guy <laughs> Um, but for now, it's just like books and baking. I love that. I love that. And I think with all of those things, you're also, I think you're doing so much. So where do you find time to to bake? Where do you find time to even work? I, I, I know working out or being active is important, but like, where do you find time when you are nonstop going all the time? I well, thank you. That makes me sound so productive. So I'm going to lean into that. <laughs> baking. A lot of it happens from like 11 p.m. to like 2 a.m. That's like the perfect. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. Uh, I, where do I find the time? I don't, uh, I don't know. I, 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 I'm not as productive as I would want to be. Like I have a friend who's a novelist and his whole thing is like, he, shuts out the wi-fi um, and wow. writes for five hours a day and i really admire that for me if i write for five hours a day two and a half hours of that are spent on twitter i'm like no twitter's kind of like writing it's really not <laughs> um, so i'm very good at procrastinating um i like to go to sleep with my inbox at zero so like answering email is not doing something and i've tricked myself into thinking it's doing something um Teaching can be can be both fun and exhausting. I don't know which it changes on the day. Um, but thank you for saying I'm busy. <laughs> I don't know why, what, what, what point I was trying to make. I'm, I'm, I'm busy, but I'm also like, I feel like I'm also profoundly lazy. It's very strange. Definitely not lazy. Definitely not lazy. <laughs> from the outside, I'm not lazy, but from the inside... I am definitely lazy. Like, it shouldn't take three days to answer one email, but I will write it in drafts. Like, yeah. and it's a like, three-line email. And it was just taking me so long to just answer the email. I'm like, 
yeah. But it also depends on who's sending the email to you, I'm assuming. Because I know I hate emails as well. And I'm very selective with what emails I open and how fast I've sent them to those individuals. So I... Yeah. And the thing is, I've been on the other side. I've sent email to people. I'm like, it's been three days. Why haven't you answered me? <laughs> uh, but it's just like this draining thing. And like the thing they don't tell you about being a YA author is that people actually reach out to you, which is very strange. Um, mm. I can't begin to imagine the riffraff that will reach out to me after reading that like way too transparent uh, memoir. But like for young adult stuff it's like young black kids are like oh thank you for writing this book i saw myself in norris um here's a few questions about my life uh, about writing and i'm getting bullied at school what should i do about that um hey by the way i wrote three chapters of this really bad um fantasy adventure could you take a look at it and like i know the answer is no i know i should have a standard like Sorry, I can't. I'm really busy right now. But sometimes I really want to answer it. That's not uh -huh. a problem for people to send me emails. But sometimes I'm just like, I try to imagine what I would feel like if the creator of Dragon Ball Z answered my email when I was like that age. Um, and I'm like, I, 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 I just wrote a 2000 word email to a kid who reached out with like very bad uh, fantasy tropes with a lot of typos that weren't even proofread. And I was just like, wow, that was an hour of my life I wasted for absolutely no reason. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I don't have my, uh, hmm. I don't know what prompted this discussion, but you dive right in, man. Um, I don't have my crap together, but I'm very interested in building an outside persona that looks like I have my crap together. So thank you for thinking I have my crap together. That's the thesis. I can't, like, I shouldn't say I can't believe, but like how many emails would you say you would get from people or kids that have read your stuff? Um, I don't want to like blow it up too much. I'm pretty sure Angie Thomas, like it's just a column that comes in every day. Uh, I don't know, maybe like one or two, it might amount to like three or four a month. Um, wow. Like very sort of like heartfelt. Uh, so I always feel like I have to like, you know, reach out a mm. little bit and I also get like mm. former students who are like so I moved to LA to be a screenwriter and it's not really working any advice I'm like no sorry I feel like I have to answer those too because I my advice to them like a few years ago was move to LA um <laughs> so yeah I don't know I I, I like chat as you can probably tell and uh -huh. email it become its own <laughs> version of chatting Ben where could people uh find you online Oh, um, you can find me at Go Home Ben, all one word at, on Twitter, or Ben Philippe on Instagram. And those are the two portals where I waste a lot of time. <laughs> and you have a um, website as well, right? Oh, right. BenPhilippe.com. Awesome. Awesome. And can you very quickly just share a very small book talk on what's coming out very, very soon for us? Uh what do you mean can you share like very briefly about um your memoir and what's gonna be inside oh okay i thought sorry when you said book talk i thought you meant like in the YA world as a whole i was like i don't know <laughs> it feels not really crowded but i read like those buzzfeed like 87 YA books we're looking forward to for like 
you can't be looking forward to 87 books. Like they're, they're too many. They're, I can't take over the world with that many. Hmm. <laughs> um, no, what's next for me is, sure, I'll be your black friend, which is a, a collection of memoir essays from Harper Perennial. The full title is Sure, I'll Be Your Black Friend, Notes from the Other Side of the Fist Bump. Uh, because I've, uh, if you've listened to all of this, thank you very much. Uh, you know, I've been like the black person in a lot of white spaces throughout my life in Texas, Canada, um, and even Haiti a little bit. So I try to write about my life. It comes out in late April. Please check it out. Please be very kind in your reviews. Even if you hate it, just don't tag me in the review. Um, like the publisher sent me like the first advanced review. And the first line I just tapped out of, because it was a good review, they enjoyed the book, but the first line was like, I don't, I tremendously enjoyed this book, but I don't know if I would be friends with Ben Felipe. I'm like, well, screw you. Screw all of you who are going to start your reviews that way. That's just, that's just me. Um, what? No. <laughs> you haven't read it yet. I, the last lessons are very angry. Um, but yes. I hope you check it out because I'm a little I, uh, <laughs> I know I will. You got the suspense up for me, but I'm excited. I am really excited. <laughs> oh, Ben, that was awesome. I am so I'm